This is the Rundown. The Rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Live from the Auction Community Studios for the next hour. A little bit of a shorter show tonight as we uh, recover from that Cardinals game against the Seahawks last night. Sarah Casella has just appeared to dance for three seconds. Now she's gone. Cody Fincher behind the glass. I'm Luke Lipinski. And yeah, it's been about, well, 24 hours since the game started. So we've all had time to, to let the loss to the Seahawks sink in. Process it however you might. We did the post-game show. Uh, Bear and I did the post-game show, the post-post-game show last night that started at like 11.30 and uh, kind of worked through it then. I mean, at the end of the day, the Cardinals are 6-4 and four with six games to go. And if you look at the schedule, they're all winnable. They're not going to win all six, certainly. They're all losable, too, really. There's not a game on there where you're like, well, they're not going to lose that game no matter what. There are no more New York Jets. There's really only one New York Jets in the league, I guess. Uh, so, I mean, these last six games is going to come down to that. It would have come down to that whether you won last night or lost last night. But the thought that I had today when I was thinking about it, and, and, and Cody, I actually think I heard you say this in the newsroom before, too. If the Cardinals had just gone out Thursday night football, you're playing Seattle in Seattle. Russell Wilson has been hearing, for whatever reason, that people doubt him over the last couple weeks. He goes out there, has a monster game, and the Seahawks just beat you? All right. I mean, that's going to happen. There's a reason you haven't swept the Seahawks since 2009. But it didn't happen like that. It happened because you took penalty after penalty after penalty, false starts that just kill any sort of flow of the game. Like, it wasn't even a fun game that ended up being a loss. It was just disjointed and slow and... It was still competitive because it was Cardinal Seahawks, but I bet if you if you had to rank the last ten Cardinal Seahawks games in order, that one probably would have been pretty close to tenth. Like it was just it, they the Cardinals were never in sync. It felt like they beat themselves. Whereas I was expecting either Arizona to go out there and really just seize control of the division, or lose a game to the Seahawks because Russell Wilson took over. You know what I mean? And it just it wasn't that. It was just it was just flat. I was just going to say, it was like this game on both sides where it just felt like nothing exciting happened. I mean, both teams scored 20 points, 20 plus points, but it just felt like nothing happened in that game, especially for the Cardinals. Well, and the the 10 penalties for 115 yards for the Cardinals, we talked about this last night, like some of that you can explain away because it's a short week. Really, for both teams, I mean, Seattle had eight penalties for 79 yards, but it was, it's just it's when the Cardinals had theirs. And you can't explain away four false starts because of a short week. It's not like this is the first time the Cardinals have ever played a football game together. In a stadium with no fans. No fans. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to explain that. It's hard to explain the, or maybe not hard to explain, but hard to excuse the Dre Kirkpatrick uh, taunting penalty. And yeah, I know, maybe they, they should have had one on DK Metcalf on the same play, but it's like, that's, that's a voluntary penalty. That is, even though emotions are running high, and I understand that, and that's one of the things that makes sports great, that is, in a split second, Kirkpatrick making the decision that Okay, we've got the Seahawks to fourth down here, but I'm angry, and that's more important than us winning this game. You know, and I know that if 10 seconds later, he probably is like, okay, that was dumb. I shouldn't have done that. And I know that we're all human. I get that. But I mean, 
You have to have that stuff cleaned up if you're going to go out there and play the Seahawks. You can't go out there and think like, well, we beat them once, and if we win this week, we're 7-3, and three, and we've taken control of the division, so if we just go out there, Seattle will let us win. That's what it looked like at times. And, you know, it's the Cardinals. They made a push back in the second half. They made it, and they had a chance. But uh, you just you can't keep digging that hole, and that's seven times this season in the first ten games. And remember, the Cardinals are 6-4. and four. Like, the sky's not falling. But seven out of ten games they've been trailing at halftime? They have not played seven good teams this season. Like, that's... And even if they have, they have not played seven teams that are noticeably better than them. Like, it is a talent that Kyler Murray has, and it's it's part of why you drafted him number one overall, that he can bring you back in games. And I get it. And it's not like the Cardinals are the only team that's ever done this. Like, the Chargers for a while seemed to only play the first half of games and not play the second half. The Colts, when they had Andrew Luck, they seemed to always be behind at halftime and then come storming back. That's great that you have that that skill at the quarterback position, but you don't need to lean on it every week. There should be weeks where you just come out and you're up 14-3 to at halftime or whatever. I'm not even saying last night should have been that. I mean, again, short week, traveling to Seattle. I, I understand you might just lose that game, but we're past the halfway point of the season. Like, that's got to get cleaned up. I would love to see them go out in New England next week and just and hold a lead at halftime. You know? I, I, I think it would be super comforting if in New England they have a good first drive that ends in a touchdown. I can't remember yeah. the last time their first offensive <laughs> drive ended in a touchdown. <sighs> yeah, it's like, true. Like against Miami, they had a really, really good first drive uh, offensively, and it ended in a field goal. Yeah. Just, yeah. I just want to see that first drive end in a touchdown, please. I, just, I mean, it's it's the same thing. Like, I'm talking about at halftime, they're, they've been losing 7 out of 10 of these games. They've only been leading after the first quarter in three of the 10 games. I mean, come on, just go out there, just just have one game. Like it's it's enjoyable, it's it's memorable when you go out there and beat the Bills on a hail mary, and it's it's enjoyable and memorable when you beat the Seahawks in overtime the first time around, and you know you, all these games that are close and they're thrilling wins, and that that's that's great. But like, you need to have a, a couple weeks during the season if you're truly going to contend, if you're truly going to be a team that says we think we can make the Super Bowl this year. If that's really your goal. You got to have a couple weeks where it's like, yep, yeah, we were up ten nothing at the end of the first. We were up seventeen three at halftime, and we ended up winning thirty one to, to ten. And it can't. I know they did that essentially to the Jets. I need another team, not just the Jets, please. If your goal is to win the Super Bowl, you can't start off that slow in the Super Bowl game. No, because more often than not, the other team you're facing is the best team in the AFC. Well, yeah, and, and I you can't just. Start especially. Let's say the Cardinals do get to the Super Bowl. They're most likely going to be playing the Chiefs with yeah, Patrick Mahomes. Probably. If you don't score early, you're not going to win. Well, and look, if the Cardinals don't win the Super Bowl this year, that's not like a disappointing season. But I think realistically, if you if you are Kyler Murray, I think you're looking around and you're saying, okay, the Saints look good, but they don't have their quarterback right now. The Buccaneers look good, and maybe that's the team to beat. But like Green Bay looks good, but not great. They have they barely beat Jacksonville last week. Like they have these weeks where they just disappear, and nobody in the NFC East is great, obviously. And you know the the Rams you haven't played yet. The Seahawks you've beaten once. You, I, I think if you're Kyler Murray, if you're DeAndre Hopkins, if you're Larry Fitzgerald, I think you look around and you say we could win the NFC this year. And you can't you can't fall into that pattern of like, well, yeah, we could, but you know. 
because we're this good next year, this year will definitely be better next year, and it will be even better the year after that. Like That's not guaranteed. If the conference is open right now and there are six other good teams but no other great teams, you got to clean up the stuff like the penalties and the slow starts because it's potentially there for the taking. Let's, uh, let's get into the rapid reaction. The Rundown Rapid Reaction. Rapid Reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. Oh, legal tampering is here for the NBA for the last two hours. It started two hours ago. Legal tampering period has begun in the NBA free agency. We potentially could have Kellen Olsen on later on in the show if either the Suns do anything in the next 40 minutes. Or maybe if they don't, maybe just to kind of preview what we could be looking for uh, the rest of this offseason. The season, of course, starts a month from Sunday, December 22nd. So it's it's not that far away. Obviously, you got to get everything together. And the Suns roster, even though you know like the main guys, the rest of the roster uh, is still in flux. Nothing major has happened unless it happened in the last five minutes, and it doesn't look like it has. Um, Jordan Clarkson is getting $52 million at the Jazz over four years. Darren Fox, a five-year, $163 million max extension with Sacramento. And the Detroit Pistons are assigning all the centers. All of the centers. that You could probably, if you have a center you want to get rid of, just go ahead and call Detroit. Um, we didn't get to talk about this the other day. Well, I guess because we didn't have a show yesterday. We had the Cardinals game. Kelly Oubre to Golden State. I'm torn on Golden State. Not having Clay Thompson for the year probably takes them out of title contention. But now adding Oubre to that team, I feel like, I mean, Wiseman's an unknown, but you're getting Steph back. I still think that's a playoff team, which obviously is very relevant to the uh, Phoenix Suns discussion. So perhaps we'll get into that later on with Kellen as well. Back to the Cardinals, it sounds like a sprained AC joint for Kyler Murray in his throwing arm. Uh, You could tell in that first drive last night, he got driven into the ground, and the rest of the game, he wasn't wasn't bad. He just didn't have that sort of... It seemed like he was thinking before he did stuff last night, where I think one of the things that makes Kyler Murray so good, and one of the things that makes him able to be so fast and to move so quickly on the field is he just kind of goes with instinct. He doesn't sit there and hesitate and say, okay, wait, should I run or, you know, my arm hurts or wait, should I do that? And I'm sure some of it was Seattle's defense, which actually looked half decent last night. And the addition of Carlos Dunlap, I'm sure is a big part of that. But I, I can't help but think some of that was the fact that he did get hurt on the, uh, the first drive of the game. Played through it. Like I said, you know, 269 passing yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, but the 15 rushing yards... That was noticeably absent last night. Even if Carlos Dunlap's making Seattle's defense better, still doesn't make Seattle's defense good yet. And, uh, you know, good news, I guess, today for the Cardinals that it is just, just being in quotes, a sprained AC joint. And it sounds like he'll be good to go against the Patriots next Sunday. Cardinals also, uh, it sounds like they're going to sign Demata Pico. So we'll get a little help on that defensive front seven. And finally, Pac-12, another game canceled tomorrow. Stanford and Washington State. Of course, ASU and Colorado already canceled. I mean, does it even feel like college football season at this point? Because to me, locally, it doesn't. I mean, Wait, they, college football's going on. <laughs> there's, I, I know there's a MAC Where? game going on every Tuesday night because I always see it, and it looks like we've got Louisville and I couldn't tell who they were playing. Louisville and somebody playing tonight. Syracuse. Yeah. Okay. Syracuse. But um, I don't know, man. I. I, I I was so 
fired up for this ASU season, even at the start of last season. This is the ASU season I was fired up for. And they're 0-1, and it's almost Thanksgiving. They're, oh, that You should be at this point. You know, I was hoping this season, like, we would be, okay, ASU's 9-2 and two maybe right now, maybe even 10-1, and one, and you're getting ready to play U of A, and instead it's 0-1, and one, and we don't know when you're going to play. They should be 1-0. and oh. Yeah, and the they way should they be lost the USC game. <laughs> I don't know, though. What, what would be worse if they finished the season 1-0 and oh with that win over USC, and we're just sitting here going, come on, there's no way you can play? Whereas now it's kind of like, yeah, I still want to see him play because I want to see, I just want to see what Herm can do with this group, but obviously, I mean... Any Pac-12 championship aspirations went out the window when you lost USC. And, and then you at this play. point, with two games already canceled, what's the point? I, yeah, money. Well, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if that was a rhetorical question or if you wanted me to actually say money. All right, when we come back, there were a lot of negatives from last night's Cardinals game. There was one overwhelming positive that we have to talk about. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Rundown 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Well, we may have seen the breakout game for Isaiah Simmons. Last night against the Seahawks, 45 snaps. 68% of the Cardinals' defensive plays. And I'm looking at, like, the the previous couple games, he had played 32 in the uh, the last two games, which which that was way up from uh, the last time they played Seattle. He uh, he was on the field for five snaps. Now, one of them, the fifth one, of course, was that interception of Russell Wilson in overtime that led to the Cardinals' win a couple weeks ago. Last night on the field, though, for 45 plays, he had nine solo tackles, 10 total. He had a sack. He had a couple tackles for a loss. Like, you noticed Isaiah Simmons out there last night, and not in a what is Isaiah Simmons doing sort of way. Like, you could see number 48 out there making plays. And whether it was the sack, his first of his career, which, by the way, nice to have your first sack come against Russell Wilson and your first interception come against Russell Wilson like Isaiah Simmons is uh, he's getting his money's worth on all these firsts it, it wasn't wow what is Isaiah Simmons doing out there it's like wow look at what Isaiah Simmons is yeah, doing yeah and it was consistent right like yeah, it was fun the last time they played Seattle he intercepted that pass and I was like okay that's a huge like just the way your brain processes it you're like oh, that's a great interception is that Isaiah Simmons like how, did he run out on even the field? Dave Pash on that call <laughs> Isaiah Simmons has it <laughs> It felt like in the moment, it's like, did they have a 12th guy out there and Isaiah Simmons shouldn't be out there? Last night, not the case. Last night, he was he was all over the place. He was, every time there was a play to be made, I'm pretty sure you saw 48 somewhere. Yeah. He led the team in tackles, which is normally, that's a, a title reserved for uh, Buda Baker. Um, Cliff Kingsbury, after the game, didn't, I mean, he... he Took the the normal tact of like, well, I haven't watched all the uh, the, the footage yet, but uh, today he said this about Simmons. It's definitely exciting for us to see. Um, you know, he wanted to play a lot initially, and I think our, our defense staff did a tremendous job of bringing him along at the right pace to, to, to give him stuff that he could be successful at and put him in positions to be successful early on. And now uh, he's getting a feel for the game and slowing down for him. He's getting more of the playbook in. And um, you saw last night he did some really nice things. Things and, and we need him to continue to step up. There's a lot of different ways to judge the job that Vance Joseph has done and is doing. 
but I think right near the top of the list, other than wins and losses and, and you know total team defense performance, is going to be the development of Isaiah Simmons. And if last night really was his coming out party and like he's that guy or you know close to that guy again the rest of this season and by next year, it's it, now you're just looking for consistency. Because you saw that he can do in the NFL last night what we saw him do in college. So now you've seen that he can do it. I mean, even after the first game against the Seahawks, yeah, it was a, it was a great play to get the interception, but we knew he could catch a football. Like, if that was it, if that was all he had done this season, like, all right, a lot of people can catch a football. He, um, For him to go out there and make the plays he made last night, though, that's more of an announcement to the league of, okay, maybe I'm, you know, it, it took me 11 weeks to get going, but here I am. And if that's what we're going to see from Isaiah Simmons going forward, that's huge. That's huge, and with the injuries they have right now, they need it. it it's, not even, it's not even like, oh, that's huge, and that's going to push them to the next level. I think they need it. You know, you've had Devon Kennard out of the lineup, Devon J. Campbell dealing with injuries, Jordan Phillips out the last few weeks. You know Corey Peters is out for the rest of the year, and Isaiah Simmons does not play all those positions. But with Chandler Jones already out for the year, like that defense is beat up. It, it really is, and I'm not saying that as an excuse for why they lost last night. I actually didn't think the defense played that bad. Well, parts of the defense didn't play that bad. It seemed like DK Metcalf could do whatever he wanted. But you, you need Isaiah Simmons to do maybe not exactly that. I don't think you have to get a sack and 10 tackles from him every week, but you need him to be a player now. It's like Bruce Arians always used to say once you got to about Thanksgiving. He was like, you're not a rookie anymore at this point. Now, this year, it's a little bit different. No preseason, no real offseason. But if what we saw last night is the start of Isaiah Simmons' career, then I'm going to say Vance Joseph's doing a good job with him. I'm not going to look and say, well, the first 10 weeks he made one play. Like, well, that's not really Vance Joseph's fault. Now, if it keeps going the rest of the season and next year you don't know what you have, well, then, yeah, you got to look at the player and the defensive coordinator. But if last night is is Isaiah Simmons joining the party, uh, that's... That's that's a really good sign for this defense. Well, the next game coming up for the Cardinals, you kind of have that mini bye week. Then it's a weird one. Anytime you play the Patriots, I, it, because they're on the other side of the country, they're way over there in the AFC East, you almost never play them, it feels like. They almost feel like it's it's a whole different world. But now, Cliff Kingsbury will be facing off with Bill Belichick in the span of nine days. He was asked about that today. More than anything, I think just uh, you feel gratitude and you feel honor to um, you know be on the same field with the best coach of all time. And uh, it's a huge challenge. There's no doubt he's got those guys playing good. And um, week in, week out, you see these multiple looks. He's throwing at people defensively. And uh, so it's going to be a heck of a challenge for our, our team to go up there and try to try to bounce back. It's never easy to, to beat the Patriots. It's especially never easy to beat them in Foxborough. Um, you know, they, they still play this Sunday against Houston. So you, you'll be more rested than the Patriots. But that is not a game I'm ever going to look at and say, I guess maybe if Jarrett Stidham was the quarterback, but he's not. Cam Newton's the quarterback. That's not a game I'm ever going to look at and say, like, okay, that's a free win for the Cardinals. Who do they have after that? Like, and no. there are, Like I said, there's no free wins left. There are games you should win against a beat-up San Francisco team, and I would say at least the Giants, maybe Philly too. 
but those Rams games are both very much in question. I don't think they're going to beat the Giants, Eagles, and 49ers back-to-back-to-back around Christmas. I mean, they're probably going to take a loss there or at least have a really close game in there. And the game coming up against the Patriots is, I mean, that is that is a challenge. So now you sit at 6-4, and four, and you're looking towards the rest of the season. I still think this should be a 10-win team. I thought if they won last night, they'd be an 11-win team. And that's that's sort of saying, okay, you split with the Rams, and then you can lose one of the other four games. Patriots, Giants, Eagles, 49ers. I'm going to be kind of disappointed if it's any less than that. Certainly if it's less than nine wins, right? If they don't get nine wins, this this is a major disappointment of, uh, of, of a second half of the season, I guess. They, this should at least be a nine-win team, the Cardinals. And... It does seem like if they just clean up the penalties, which have been an issue off and on all season, if you can clean that up and you are, you know, relatively healthy, as long as Kyler Murray is healthy, he's not, you know, that's not an arm injury that affects him the rest of the season. I think nine wins is, is like the bar you have to clear. And really you should be shooting for 10. You should still be shooting for 11, but now it's, it's a lot tougher. And, uh, and Seattle, we'll get to them in a second, but, um, they set themselves up pretty nicely the rest of the way because the Seahawks have a have a have a pretty easy schedule coming up here in the second half of the season. Uh, this is Buda Baker talking about the biggest issue on defense last night. Oh, I mean, you know, Russell Wilson's a great quarterback. He was, you know, we we were. I felt like we were playing good defense. I haven't watched the film, of course. Felt like you know everyone was sticking onto their man, but you know once Russell gets around, starts moving around, the receivers start running everywhere and we just got to try and plaster as long as we can so uh you know russell wilson like i said great quarterback you know uh got free a few times and made uh made great throws so yeah it it just it took the cardinals too long to show up last night and i know people don't want to hear excuses and i'm with you on that i don't want to hear the excuse of it being thursday night football but you do have to at least acknowledge that with the caveat that if they go forward and it keeps happening against the Patriots and the Rams and the Giants, well then you know the Thursday night excuse goes out the window. If they go out there and show up against the Patriots and they start another one of these winning streaks, okay, well then you can look and you can, you can say, okay, our, our quarterback got hurt on the first drive of the game and we took some dumb penalties and Russell Wilson's good. You, you can certainly write off that loss to the Seahawks last night as just sort of something that's going to happen over the course of a 16-game season. But you need to respond in a big way against the Patriots next Sunday to be able to start writing that Seahawks game off. And that's just the reality of the situation because, again, the NFC, there are some really good teams, but I don't look at any of them and say they're unbeatable. I really don't look at any team in the NFL other than the Chiefs probably and say, oh yeah, they can't beat them. If the Cardinals are playing the Steelers this weekend, I know the Steelers are undefeated, but if the Cardinals are playing the Steelers this weekend, would you say, like, oh, there's no way the Cardinals have a chance against that team? I wouldn't. I might even pick the Cardinals. Well, not having played last night and then playing Sunday, but, like, the Steelers are due to lose. The only team I really look at and I'm like, I don't know that you're beating that team in 2020 is the Chiefs. Is there anybody I'm forgetting, Bear? I don't think so. I mean, who, who, I, mean I would have probably said the Steelers just because they're undefeated, but they have a lot more weaknesses than the Chiefs do. Yeah. And maybe the Saints, if they had their quarterback, but they don't. They have Taysom Hill, so Green, we don't, Green we don't Bay's know. beatable. Yeah. They're really, everybody in the NFC is beatable. If if you had to pick right now who's going to win the NFC, and I said take the Cardinals out of it for a second, 
probably New Orleans. I think I would take Tampa. Really? Okay. But I, I'm already sick of Tampa. Well, it depends on Drew Brees, I guess, Yeah, for New Orleans. And that might just be me picking Tampa because I'm, I'm rapidly not wanting Tampa to win. That, that might be why. By the way, I looked up the weather, the, uh, the forecast in Foxborough for when the Cardinals play there. Yeah. Uh, supposed to be 46 degrees with 40% chance of rain and nine mile an hour winds. Yeah, this is uh, buddy of mine. Brought the this rain up. is the, what worries yeah. me. Uh, buddy of mine brought this up to me earlier today of like, we we all like this Cardinals team. We like what Kyler Murray can do, but it is different when you get to this time of year and you're facing the Rams twice. You're facing the Patriots in New England in late November and the Giants in New York in mid-December. Like the weather could be a factor, you know, like you play San Francisco at home in week 16. I mean, that's that's your stadium. It's indoors. I'm guessing the roof's probably going to be closed or if it's not, it's going to be a nice breeze outside. But it is football gets different this time of year, and I'm not saying the Cardinals can't win this time of year, but it, you know, now you, you still have to prove this. All right, when we come back, take a closer look at the passing game. That was strange for the Cardinals last night for a number of reasons. We'll get into it. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Welcome back to the show. Luke Lipinski here with you. Cody Fincher, the bear behind the glass. We are likely going to talk to Kellen Olsen here in about 15 minutes. So we'll run through a lot of the NBA stuff then. But uh, Dwight Howard, according to Sham Sharania, agreeing to a one-year deal with the 76ers. Danilo Gallinari, three-year deal with the Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta is going to be an interesting team this year. They seem committed to, to putting pieces around Trey Young, as, as they should. Uh, what was the one? Josh Jackson. Okay, I just wanted to make sure it was here and you weren't just screwing with me. Josh Jackson is finalizing a deal with the Detroit Pistons. You Why? think he got as much money as De'Aaron Fox? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so what? So De'Aaron Fox went one pick after Josh Jackson in 2017. De'Aaron Fox is getting a max deal with, like, it can go even higher. And Josh Jackson is honestly kind of fortunate to be signing with the Pistons. Now, I don't know what the Pistons are doing. Not even so much just with Josh Jackson in general. I don't know what the Pistons are doing. But we'll, we'll, get, to, uh, we'll get to all the NBA stuff with Kellen Olsen when we come back. I want to play this clip from Kyler Murray after the game last night when he was asked what exactly the Seahawks did to essentially shut down DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk. I don't want to say they were taking him away. Uh, I think... Uh... You know, it just took us uh, taking making an adjustment to to start getting to the you know the, the things that obviously uh, got them the ball. Um, I felt like you know I, if you ask them, they're probably they're probably open all game. Um, you know, I think we just took a while to um, you know make those adjustments. Uh, part of that's on me, um, but like I said, we we got to be better. Uh, we will be better, and you know, it's obviously a tough night. Yeah, look, it's all connected, right? I mean, there's the the pass rush that Seattle suddenly had, and some of that's Carlos Dunlap. Some of that's the other guys that get freed up because of Carlos Dunlap. A lot of it's the penalties. I mean, the Cardinals had drives just completely stalled because of false start or you know, holding for a safety, or you know, just it was like we said, it was a very choppy game, and that's what happens when you get 115 yards and penalties, many of them at the most inopportune of times. 
So it's not as simple as saying, okay, well, here's one game. Something's wrong with the passing game. And I'm not saying that. I mean, Kyler still threw for 269 yards. Like I said, two touchdowns, no interceptions. But it was sort of strange that DeAndre Hopkins had 51 yards on five catches. But it felt like they all came at the same time. I didn't really see DeAndre Hopkins all that much in the first half or really all that much in the fourth quarter. It felt like he was just kind of there for the third quarter. And there's only so much you can do as a receiver if your quarterback's not throwing you the ball or you know if your quarterback doesn't have time to throw you the ball or whatever. But that's now twice in the last three games where DeAndre Hopkins, who, if he's not the best receiver in the NFL, he's right there. If he's not 1A, he's 1B. And you're going to have to make a strong argument for 1A, whoever that is. But two of the last three games now, Hopkins has 51 yards last night, 30 yards against Miami. Now, he had the huge game against Buffalo in the middle there, 127 yards, the Hale-Murray touchdown and everything. But that's two of the last three games. And by the time they play the Patriots, that'll be November 29th. So that'll be two games over the span of a month when you factor in the bye week and everything where he's had 81 total yards. And when you have a receiver like that that is ready to put up 150 every single week, like you have to feed that guy. And I understand game flow prevents it sometimes. I'm not trying to make an issue where there isn't one. But I know a lot of people have brought up, hey, it's third down. The game's kind of on the line. Why are we throwing to Andy Isabella instead of DeAndre Hopkins? And as I said on the postgame show last night, I'm more confident watching Kyler Murray roll to his left and just heave the ball 45 yards down the field to DeAndre Hopkins in triple coverage than I am watching him try and throw a 20-yard pass to Andy Isabella who, by the way, was open, but you know, it just it, it, that, that the play never felt like it was going to happen. Larry Fitzgerald led the team in receiving last night, eight catches for sixty-two yards. Hopkins has still led the team in receiving seven of the ten games, but like the game that Fitz had last night, that's the sort of game when he has that, you should win because it should be, hey, Fitz went out there and had eight catches for sixty-two yards on top of the hundred fifteen that Hopkins put up, and you know, Kirk putting up fifty yards is fine. You like to see him get in the end zone because that's kind of that's kind of his, his main contribution this season, but. It's not the only thing that looked out of sync last night, but the passing game, even though the stats don't look terrible, it just it just wasn't right last night. So you can see how quickly things change in the NFL. The Seahawks came into that game last night, six and three. They had dropped three of four. Apparently, there were people in Seattle blaming Russell Wilson. I, I didn't understand that that narrative that was kind of being put forth at the beginning of the game, especially on the first Seahawks touchdown of like, everybody doubted Russell Wilson. Nobody doubted Russell Wilson. It's like the only thing anybody agrees on on the internet in 2020 is that Russell Wilson's a great quarterback. I don't know where that narrative came from. But if you beat the Seahawks last night, they've dropped four or five. That's an issue. So then, then you're looking around and you're saying, okay, well, maybe just... If you're a Seahawks fan, it's like Russell Wilson has to be perfect every night, and if he isn't, we're going to lose. The problem, and this is why I think some people are really frustrated today that the Cardinals couldn't win that game last night, is you've you've let Seattle get back up off the mat. So now they're not you know, they're not losers of four out of five. They've split the season series with the Cardinals. They're seven and three. They're back in first place in the NFC West, and their schedule the rest of the way is just like. It, Philadelphia, Monday Night Football on November 30th in Philly. Then they have the Giants, the Jets, the Washington football team. So that's 
I'm going to assume three straight wins. The Rams at home, December 27th, that'll be a good game. And then they're in San Francisco in Week 17. I mean, we're, we are sort of at the point now this season where you need to start looking at, at the very end of the season, you know, who those last couple games are against. Seattle's going to have San Francisco, which, I mean, not like the 49ers are going to be healthy by then and probably not going to have anything to play for. The Cardinals will be in L.A. taking on the Rams. So you, if you're... If your goal is to win the division, you may not want to let it come down to the last week if you can help it. And that, again, is why last night was such a missed opportunity. But if you're looking at the Seahawks and saying, yeah, but they weren't, they weren't that impressive, you know, they'll, they'll fall apart. Uh, maybe, but I don't think they're falling apart in the next four weeks when they play the Eagles, Giants, Jets, and Washington. So if you're waiting for Seattle to fall apart, you either needed to help them fall apart last night or you might be waiting to see it in the playoffs. All right, we're going to come back. We only have one more segment tonight. We are going to dedicate that segment to Kellen Olsen and the NBA. That's next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station and the home of the Suns. Home of the Suns. We're checking in with Suns nerd Kellen Olsen on The Rundown. Yes, Kellen Olsen is here. We can officially start calling you KO again because you're the only KO in town, as far as I know. Uh, every time in the locker room, someone said KO or Kel or something like that. Yeah. Whip the head around. <laughs> and they're never talking to me. They're talking uh, to Kelly Oubre. That's the inside joke there. Well, this time, they will be talking to you unless you're in the Golden State Warriors locker room. Uh, in fact, let's let's start with Oubre because last time you and I talked was Wednesday night during the draft coverage and... <laughs> You said it, and, and and myself and John Bloom all agreed. Like We hope Kelly Oubre doesn't get stuck in Oklahoma City. And he didn't. He's in Golden State. So, two-part question. What do you think that does for him? Like, do you like that as a landing spot for him? And then secondly, where do you see Golden State this season? Because they lose Klay Thompson, which is brutal. And I really feel like he's like the most beloved player in the NBA. But they they do add Kelly Oubre, and they add James Wiseman, and you're getting Steph Curry back. Like I still think that's a playoff team. Oh, they're for sure still a playoff team. I, I I remember tweeting something, and it was reacting to one of our shows, either Bickley and Murata or Burns and Gambo, just talking about the picture out west. And they were talking about it as if like we don't know about Clay Thompson's injury um, like months ago in terms of his comeback, and now obviously he's out for the year. And I just remember uh, one of the hosts, and I legitimately can't remember who it is, just saying, like, well, we don't know. It's So it's only like Steph and Draymond, and like Steph Curry is like one of the best... I can say like one of the best point guards that's ever played. Yeah. And just when he was playing, I know people bring up the example of how bad they were with just Steph for a little bit, but I mean that was the very beginning of that process and they were figuring it out and he's going to be so much more well prepared. He's still a top 10 player in the league without a doubt. So when you have that caliber of player alone and you look at the other players they've added around him, they've still got a decent group around him, but they really needed someone like Kelly. They really needed um I don't want to say a high-level player. That's probably giving Kelly too much credit, but a really decent contributor, and and that's what Kelly can be. It's just really unfair to see what's happening right now with the discussion around him because the big number is $82 million, which is the tax penalty they are taking in order to bring in Oubre, yeah. um, which is $82 million, and then he's replacing Clay, so he's being talked about as an $82 million replacement for Clay Thompson, yeah. which is totally unfair <laughs> to his game. I think he's a very good player, and... If you just think about that fan base and how dedicated that fan base, they are immediately going to latch on to him, and I wouldn't be surprised if he stuck around there. They've got the Andrew Wiggins contract to deal with, but if they're able to get off that, 
then bringing Kelly back makes a ton of sense on that team. He's not an elite shooter or anything, but you know who are elite shooters? The Splash Brothers, and, and you can you can deal with that to get some energy and some just a, a good player in your rotation, and that's what Kelly is. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people next year. Yeah, I'm with you on that, and I think a lot of Suns fans are with you on that because now he steps into a situation where he is on a good team, and Golden State's going to be one of the most fun teams in the league to watch with Oubre and Steph back, and we don't know. I mean, Wiseman easily could be the best player in this draft, so... Even without Clay, like I said, and you are on the same page with me, I mean, that's a playoff team the Suns are going to have to to try and jump, even though Golden State was horrible last year. Uh, Before we get into the Suns, Josh Jackson signing with Detroit. Can you explain what Detroit is doing just in general, or is that... I'm very confused by them. With him, it makes sense. You you always see that a top five, top ten pick is always going to get that third team. Obviously, they're going to go from their first team to their second team, but that that third team, that third and like kind of final chance in the league, that's basically what Detroit is. Because we saw Marquise Chris, Dragan Bender. I, I think Bender only got to his. No, he was in Milwaukee, so then he went to Golden State. That was his third team. Marquise went from Cleveland to Golden State, I believe, as well. That yep. was his third team, and this is Josh's third team. So... I think he gets a chance, but in terms of Detroit signing every center on the market right now, yes. I have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> I, I tweeted the joke that uh, they just got Troy Weaver in as their new GM, and I'm not sure that the people who hired him knew that he absolutely loves centers and said, I got to have him. Uh, they signed Mason Plumlee, Jaleel Locafor, and then they draft Isaiah Stewart in the top 20, who, by the way, Isaiah Stewart, not a top 20 guy in my opinion. They really reached on him in that spot as well, so... There are certain ways to approach a rebuild, and that is how they are choosing uh, to approach them. I, You just never watched Mason Plumley, especially in the playoffs last year, and just watched the way that he played on Denver and thought that's a guy I want to give three years of guaranteed money to on top of it being $25 million total. That's tough scenes uh, for the Pistons. I did not like what they did. Yeah, I, that that team more than any other has baffled me. Okay, let's get into the Suns. They haven't done anything yet. Um, I, look, they made their fireworks earlier this week with uh, with the Chris Paul sign, the, the trade for Chris Paul, and then obviously drafting uh, Jalen Smith. What do you th- foresee happening, or what do you think they need to do? Uh, they need to address a couple of different spots. Uh, I believe that they chose to go over the cap in this situation because they felt like this was a better way to fully um, equip the rest of their roster. They have a couple of exceptions they can use in different ways, uh, and they have the vet men still, and then in this situation, of course, they retain the cap holds of Dario Sarge and Aaron Baines from everything Gambo has been reporting on the shows the past couple of weeks. It sounds like Baines is not back, and Dario is. That's his guess, at least right now, based off of his reporting. And I I like that to a certain extent. I think it's going to be interesting to see what we've been hearing pretty much since last offseason was that they want to add a power forward. They wanted to bring someone in besides Dario. That's really like a position they wanted to upgrade, and I still get the sense that that's the case today. But if you pay that guy a certain amount of money and then you pay Dario a certain amount of money, that's a lot you're dedicating to your front court. Uh, When James was talking last night, um, he, he referenced the fact that the Western Conference, to compete in the Western Conference, mentioned size a bit with Jalen Smith and picking him, uh, w- which makes sense. The Western Conference Finals, there was Nikola Jokic, Anthony Davis on the floor, and those teams played big, and you had to you have to counter that. But at the same time, you don't want to do too much of it, a.k.a. what we just talked about with the Detroit Pistons. That's doing too much of it, but you just worry about tipping the scales a certain way. I think third guard is something uh, Gambo reported DJ Augustine today. He makes perfect sense to me. You just always know that Chris Paul is going to miss 10 to 15 games for you. So to have a guy to back him up, but also just be reliable um, uh, going into the season. I, I, I've been saying for a while that even if campaign played well, I've heard Bernsey described on the show today. I know bubble campaign is good, but do I know 72 game season campaign is good? 
we have no idea. And you do not want to, I don't want to say mortgage your season on it, but the Suns were so bad when Ricky Rubio or Devin Booker was off the court. And when both of them were off the court, it was a disaster pretty much every time. They got blown out by teams when that happened. If you have someone like DJ Augustine, which I know it's not a name that explodes off the page or anything, but just a reliable veteran who knows how to run an offense, that that would go so much further than the guys they played. Remember, Tyler Johnson, Elliot Koba, all these names that they look to. Uh, Ty Jerome, who they just bailed on in a year. Um, it, it would help a lot. You said bubble campaign. That sounds like some sort of like election strategy or something. I always mix it up with them. Yeah, it's tough. Um, but what you said in there about Chris Paul, like the schedule is going to be weird this year. It already is weird this year, like the way it's going to be released to us and everything. How important is whoever they finally decide is Chris Paul's backup this season to make plays to, to get this team into the playoffs in your mind? Not necessarily in terms of them getting to the playoffs, because I just think the starting five is going to be so good. And that's saying right now, like if they add someone with the MLE that's going to start at the four, this team is going to win a whole lot of games next year. Chris Paul's really that good and that much of a difference maker and upgrade over Ricky Rubio. But it it does have an impact. It does for sure, because I think that's really the last spot you look at this team for them to upgrade. Because assuming Dario Saric is back... You've got Sarge and Smith behind DeAndre Ayton as like the big rotation, which is perfect. Two of those guys can play some four as well, so they don't have to look for all those minutes behind DeAndre. So there's some um, there's some room there. Now, now it's it's an if on Jalen Smith, by the way, I should add, and that's part of the reason why um, I criticize the pick a little bit, just because I, I doubt his ability to play there long term. But can he play like five ten minutes there a night, depending on the matchup? Sure. Uh, and then on the wing, obviously, you got Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson, assuming just one of those guys starts. You're, you're looking at good depth there. You maybe bring in another name there, whether it's a power forward, whether it's a wing. So your depth in, at those spots is great. And then if you got Javon Carter campaign and then you bring in a reliable third guard, that's a full rotation. That's I'm talking more four or five seed now than I'm talking about six, seven, eight for sure. Yeah, I mean, and we only have about a minute here, but just, you know, there's been so much talk over the last few years, everybody trying to talk themselves into, okay, the Suns are going to be better this year. They actually are going to be. This is 100%. on paper the best team they've had in 10 years. Yeah. Um, the analogy that I've been making for a while is we all knew DeAndre Hopkins was a great NFL wide receiver when we saw him on the Texans for years and years. We saw him on national TV and playoff games, yada, yada. But watching him week to week and just how amazing he is, yeah. people are going to have that same thing with Chris Paul. Even if he is worse next year, he's not a second-team All-NBA point guard, and he's more like a borderline All-Star or whatever. I still think he is just a terrific basketball player who is going to make every single player better in the way that Suns fans should know, like Steve Nash did. Yeah, I was surprised by how many Suns fans were like opposed, like violently opposed to that trade when it happened. And I know some of it is you're giving up Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio was a very likable guy here who did his job as well for the one year that he was here. But you know, now that we see Oubre landing in Golden State, I guess I guess he may end up coming back to burn the Suns. But I, I, to to what you just said, Kellen, like you you bring in a guy like Chris Paul and you can't even quantify what it could mean for this team at least this year hopefully next year uh, as well i should say before you go off there christian wood just signed for three years 27 million with houston uh that was a guy that we believed with the mle which it looks Ooh. like is what he signed for nine million dollars a year um did the phoenix suns offer him that did he choose houston over phoenix we're not quite sure but that was one of the guys that made a lot of sense for that power forward spot i just mentioned and he's off the board all right look at kellen coming in here with some news right as the show notifications on this season oh, nice you got work. it you got you have to do it all right that's gonna do it for us kellen thanks for coming in uh thanks to cody fincher behind the glass thanks to you for listening i'm luke lipinski everybody have a great weekend this has been the rundown on 98.7 fm arizona sports station